The views and opinions expressed in this program do not necessarily represent those of Natural Bridges Media or KSQD's staff, volunteers, or underwriters. KSQD Santa Cruz, KSQT Prunedale. This is Talk of the Bay, and I'm your host, Bodie Shargell. It's wonderful to be to be back with you. I'm looking forward to our show today. Um, no small part of that is that I'm very excited for my special guest today. Um, Dave Tanasi is a, a SEIU 521 worker with the city of Santa Cruz who has... Um, recently undertaken something pretty new and is running for Santa Cruz City Council in the in the first district and we're we're going to touch on all of that so Dave it's great to be with you and thanks for thanks for joining us yeah thank you for having me on i'm very excited to be within the magical realm that is KSQD i don't think that i've been in a recording studio since my time at Santa Barbara on air there what's the what's their station um down there. Do you oh, even remember? My goodness, yeah. I can't show my age and say I don't recall that long ago, but the show was called Audio Dyslexic Railroad and we focused on toe tapping jams and local events. Sweet. Sounds fun. Yeah, it was. Well, I, I'd love to just get right into it, um, with kind of the story of your campaign and how you got to, to, to jumping into this race. And if I if I remember correctly, the the impression I've got is that it really all started with the city workers going on strike um, about a year ago at this point, and you were really involved with that um, and were somewhat of a spokesperson for for the for the union um, and and for the workers. So so tell me about kind of your involvement with your union before that and what you what you learned and 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 what what changed when when that strike happened last year. Yeah, certainly. And uh, I'm very able to drabble on and continue and, and expound and expand. So feel free to hold me up at any point in time. But I would start with the fact that my time working for the city of Santa Cruz started four years prior to our strike. So believe it or not, that was a full year ago that we went out on strike and actually catalyzed a process that had never before happened within the city of Santa Cruz labor group. So to, to go back, I would say that there was a couple inspirational characters when I first landed in the underground construction wing of the water department at the city of Santa Cruz. That group is called distribution. Many of them may be listening, maybe even for the first time to this station, just to hear what we're going to be talking about today. Cause it holds such a close space in their hearts. Well, we're happy to have them. Yeah. Excellent. That's good. We're bringing more and more. And so I would say that that was that, that impetus was that the workers there have known for a long time that there was a large gap, not only in pay, but specifically around respect and dignity. So we don't need to speak to wages so much as, as the fact that our working conditions at the time had been pretty atrocious and slowly being whittled away over, I'd say about the 15 years prior from the big downturn. 
So the mantra, the story, the over and over tale that we would hear every day was that in the big downturn, we as workers yielded large concessions in something of a give and take with city managers. And, and you're talking about like the 2008 um, economic crisis Correct. and all of that. Correct. Yeah, yeah. What we, what we consider the big crash, if you will, yeah. of our generation. Yeah. And so in that downturn, there was a number of concessions given and they just never came back. So there was already a very um, deep scar, I would say, within the working group in terms of their voices and their feelings and their needs and their day-to-day life struggles, not at all being recognized or even respected by management. So that's kind of the background that brings us forward into our contract negotiations, which began in February slash March roughly of 2022. And so that was kind of the beginning of the conversation. Prior to that, I had had very little experience, not only in terms of union involvement, but more so in terms of understanding what the whole process looked like. I would say that building a roadmap and gaining understanding of what levers we could pull in terms of strength as a working group, as laborers within the city, and also how do we actually develop what I would consider to be an empirical history of the past so that we can build from that and move forward and start to gain some wins. It's going to be a slow and steady battle. This, this MOU, this contract is only just the start. It is not the end. Great. And, and yeah, what, I guess the next step is from getting involved with that strike, becoming um, a more active member of your union um, to identifying the, the sort of, elected you know the the actual government of the city of santa cruz as um an area that that's really relevant to this so tell me about what what did you see from you know the city council and the the people who are in office in the lead up to and and at the time of this strike that that got you to start really paying attention to city politics electorally as well as labor organizing Yeah, I think so. To reframe your question there, you're asking, what did I see from management dot, dot, dot? The simple answer is nothing. Sure. That was really the essence of the issue is that it it wasn't even just that it was null and void or neutral, but that beyond that, there was active steps taken to suppress our voice and our ability to build a group. And so going through that process galvanizing 450 some odd laborers from very different backgrounds, very disparate worldviews, very different needs at home, commutes, lifestyles, life histories, life goals. And for the first time ever, we actually brought all of those people together to a unified voice that we wouldn't stand for anything less than what we needed. I would say that was instrumental in motivating me to look towards the greater goal, which is that in the process of building our strength for the strike, we played by all the rules, meaning you can't have, due to legal obligations, direct conversations with management. And so we, we elect individuals to go forward and try to speak on our behalf, kind of like side conversations. And what happened in those conversations was a number of individuals who told us that, oh, they'd love to stand with us. This is the first time they've heard of these issues. Now that it's on their radar, they're really going to address it. And we saw zero action. So the words were great, tastes great, feels great. 
in terms of substantive policy or any sort of actual vote that addressed our needs, non-existent, null and void. That was the catalyst. That was the inspiration that for 20 some odd years here, we've lost our values as a community in terms of progressive essence, and it's lost its reflection in city council. And we, the people of Santa Cruz, as working families, have been suffering as a result of that. And in the mm, near future of a pretty prolific boom and change within our community, we did not and have a substantial voice beyond, save a handful of members of city council that actually represented what the working people were facing and what their needs were. And and I... I want to take a second or, or maybe a few minutes to acknowledge the that sort of mindset that existed among the city workers at that time when they went on strike and it's something that i i think is really admirable um that, that i saw you know i talked to a lot of people who were involved in the union and and in meetings between you know workers when they were talking about okay are we going to go on strike are we going to accept this deal that kind of thing and and they were saying yeah, this is one of the most, you know, militant groups of, you know, public employees that I've ever seen. And, and I use militant here in the labor organizing term, people being willing to employ the, the tools at their disposal, mainly going on strike to to improve working class people's conditions. The The fact that workers in the city were were so willing to go and fight for you know a better contract than what they originally probably were likely to get and 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 were so likely to go and tell their story to the the broader community in santa cruz um not dissimilar to what you've been doing and what you're doing now i that was so impressive to me and um that yeah that that mindset from from the workers in our in our city was was really really great to see and I, i'd love to hear from you a little bit just about about that where that came from and and what what your view on that is as someone who's been more you know internally involved in it yeah i think that uh, an excellent point there is to think that i know we're in the radio station and i'm only looking at the individuals within this room but i'd imagine if i asked the question at large to please raise your hand if you understand the step-by-step process that is available to go through the MOU negotiation process and end up at a strike, I'm guaranteeing maybe 4% or less of our listeners are raising their hands. And prior to our process, myself included, I'm a firm believer that we are all very intelligent and capable. And when we have the means to apply ourselves, the time, the bandwidth, the emotional awareness, and the the um, support to do so, we can really further our cause and needs. And this tails into the candidacy thing, which is that currently the stress and day-to-day involvement of working families is so great that to pile on one more ask, even if it's just a couple minutes a day, is a lot. So I say that in recognizing that what we did in the strike process as a buildup is our group came forward. They applied themselves above and beyond And those are the steps that it takes. And you have to be inspired to get there. You have to build trust and faith to get there. You have to know that the people you're fighting with and next to will stand with you in solidarity throughout the process because 
the ultimate weapon, the nuclear option, if you will, is the strike. It's a great powerful tool, but there's a great cost to it as well. So there were financial losses in the short term taken by all workers on that strike line. We were not paid a dime during that strike. And for most of our working group, I would say, if not all of it, we're living paycheck to paycheck. So to build up our resources internally in preparation for that, that's a lot to ask. That is a big ask. So in looking back, we were aware of that. Now, to touch back on the history, for many years, the, the saying was that we walked in and we said, we won't take anything less than blank. And some groups are more adamant and outward than other groups within our labor group because we, we represent a lot of different kinds of workers. We're not isolated as just water or just sanitation or just parking or just admin. All of us stand together on a platform in solidarity. And what we needed was to bring every single individual in that group in line and understanding with one another that we truly were a team. And management will do the best they can to shatter that. So in the olden days, we'd call that union busting. It Mm -hmm. used to be physical and violent. And in newer days, uh, kind of what we see, and I, I don't need to name any groups that love employing this now, but... Um, outside of our current city government, I'm talking about private industry. They, I'm happy to name names. Oh, okay. Yeah. So um, in the psychological game of trying to convince workers that unionization is not in their interest, every big capitalist um, outfit that you can think of. So who's doing that now? Amazon, uh, yes, Starbucks. Yes. Thank you. Wow. Big ups to Joe real quick for Starbucks. Also uh, moving forward, the the idea that you have greater freedom as an individual. It's playing towards a, a, a false idolization of Americana, right? The human as the island, the individualist, so rugged, so tough, so strong. Never seen one person pave a road. Never seen one person install a water main. Mm-hmm. Never seen one person build a commercial building, right? There's a working group there that comes together to do so. And without unifying under that voice, Workers will be suppressed in capitalism, plain and simple. That is objective fact. So we can see a significant effect in the quality of life and day-to-day, I would say, dignity at work sites from what we would consider the unionization effect. Right. So, yeah. I mean, that's, that's, that's a great, you know, I think you laid it out really well, understanding the, the sort of, um, yeah, hyper-atomized mindset that leads workers to oppose unions you know they think you know i'm not going to join the union that exists at my workplace because i'm going to save the 400 bucks in union dues and you know buy a ps4 or whatever ps5 um and and there literally have been you know advertisements posted by um companies in the past that said like why pay union dues when you can buy a a ps4 because this was a couple years ago um and I think now we're seeing a resurgence in people understanding that, yeah, if you if you actually want to advocate for yourself and for your fellow workers, which is how you're going to get real gains, you, you have to do that together. Um, and something that I'm really interested in with, with your campaign specifically that I'd love to touch on at some point over the course of this show is that, you know, in in modern electoral politics, we really see an individualistic approach to it, you know the stories that people tell when they run for office is 
oh, I come from this background and I've done this and this. So if you put me in this position, I'll fix everything. And I'm sure there are good people who have run by telling that story and gotten good results. It's happened. Um, but that's not really a, a story that works for a real like left-wing electoral movement. And I see you sort of doing the story that that kind of mirrors that of city workers in Santa Cruz, where obviously you have to be the one to run that you can't run as a group. I mean, you can run as a group, but there does have to be one candidate. Um, but, but saying, you know, we'll do this together and advocate for, for everyone. Um, so I'd love to, um, take a quick break right now and, and, and play some music. And then when we come back, maybe we can get into that a little bit and get into some of the specifics of what, um, advocating for city workers would look like as a, as a council member. Um, for those of us, uh, those of you just tuning in over the past 15 minutes or so, this is Talk of the Bay. I'm Bodhi Shargell with my special guest, Dave Tanasi, who is an SEIU 521 City of Santa Cruz worker running for Santa Cruz City Council. Uh, we'll be right back after quick break. Stay tuned. It's a big job just getting by with nine kids and a wife. But I've been working, man, dang near all my life, and I'll keep on working. Long as my two hands are fit to use. I'll drink my beer in a tavern, sing a little bit of these working man blues. Keep my nose on the grindstone Work hard every day I might get a little tired on the weekend After I draw my pay I'll go back working Come Monday morning I'm right back with the crew I drank a little beer that evening Sang a little bit of these working man blues Sometimes I think about leaving Bumming around I want to throw my bills out the window Catch a train to another town I'll go back working Gotta buy my kids A brand new pair of shoes I drank a little beer in a tavern Cry a little bit of these working man blues Here comes that working man We're back here on Talk of the Bay on KSQD Santa Cruz. I'm Bodie Shargell, and I'm here with my guest, Dave Tanasi. Speaking of, you know, working class, you know, we just heard Working Man Blues by, by Merle Haggard. And, and speaking of working class, um, Dave's running a, a real working class campaign for 
for Santa Cruz City Council, which is part of what we're we're talking about today here. Um, we were just touching on his his experience uh, with the city workers' strike last year, getting him more more and more involved in in his union and interested in electoral politics in the city, and and talking about kind of the mindset of of solidarity among working class folks that's led to a resurgence in unions and and might be able to lead to a resurgence in electoral power building on the left as well um and and dave i do want to ask you about um some specifics about you becoming a or your vision as a city council member who's coming from the background of a, of a city worker because i'm sure you have some some ideas you, you have some issues with how the city has supported its workers over over recent years and and i'm sure you have some ideas about how that could um be better so i guess i'll just ask the 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 broad question and and say you know what do you think that the the city needs to do better when it comes to supporting its workers where where's the need for improvement oh that that would be a couple shows in and of itself but we can stay direct here and i want to recognize first and foremost that there was a very large response as a result of our successful strike effort. And the structural changes are beginning to cascade down through the organization of the city management. That's with new individuals appointed to new positions, and it's also with a new approach and a structural analysis that comes out of what we championed in the strike movement. And it's also worth recognizing here, and it touches back as to why I'm running now for candidacy, I've clearly proven myself as a leader for the working group. That goes without saying, and I know that everyone within our group understands that. It's a matter of transmitting that information and understanding to the, to the broad community. And so what, what would be a great place to start is, I'm, I don't remember the date, unfortunately, but I had a little jazz improv in my commentary speaking to things we want versus things we need. And this was my commentary towards city council. And what I was addressing is that we as a community have made a choice to provide the services that we as city workers provide every day. These are integral for quality of life. These are integral for health and safety. These are, in, we're talking um, garbage, parks, water, everything under the sun. And the big ask is that it's not just as us as city workers fighting for the quality of life, but that the engagement from the community at large as a response to our strike buildup is what really motivated me to run now. To see the community come out in mass and say, y'all do phenomenal work. What y'all provide is integral to our day-to-day -day living as well in this community that we call home, and how can we help? So here we are. We're at the radio talking about running for District 1 City Council. That's how people are going to help. We're going to win by knocking more doors. We're going to win by activating our base and bringing them out in a greater showing, a more potent arrival a more educated, articulate, and understood and authentic representation of who we are as a community relative to the opposition. So, excuse me, <coughs> things that we could see for improvement for city workers. First and foremost, somewhat ironically, 
we need to see long-term secure funding for our newest outfit, which is the Homeless Response Group. They were brought on with temporary funding from ARPA, in which we received $14 million during COVID. And personally, as a worker, and all of the workers who are in the streets department who historically were doing work well outside of their scope of work to address the lack of leadership from council on the unhoused at the time, that group is thankful that we now have a specific entire wing dedicated to addressing the needs for dignity and respect and living of our unhoused community. And for those that don't know, the individuals that are boots on the ground doing that work, if you see them out there, give them a high five, tell them thank you. Their day-to-day tools are bottles of water, granola bars, a calm, compassionate heart and mind, a willingness to go above and beyond what most of us consider being human all day, every day. And they don't just do it at work, they do it off hours too. Now funding of that program needs to be stabilized. That's gonna help city workers. Because what was happening before that was individuals who were hired to pave the roads and paint the lines and install signs were being instructed two to three days a week to get in the backhoe and the skid steer, go down to the river and to Sycamore Grove and to Poganip and pick up people's livelihoods and put them in dumpsters. It didn't work for the workers. That's not what they wanted to do. That's not what they're there for. That's It was having huge ramifications in their emotional well-being, not to mention the people's lives that were being destroyed and degraded in the process. All of their goods, all their materials, all their critters going in a dumpster and getting dragged away. And there wasn't any intervention. There wasn't any guidance. There wasn't any understanding from any parties. It was two disparate groups that didn't want to be in that situation, in that situation. So we rallied from the bottom and argued for a long time that we needed specific individuals with specific training to meet the need of our community for health and safety. And we saw a response from that with ARPA. And so we would love to keep that funding going. Um, Another thing that's pretty important in terms of dignity and respect for workers within the city is seeing how the finances are managed. Meaning that historically, since the downturn, we as workers came to this negotiation effort and pretty much they just wiped their hands and the lawyer told us, here's how much stake y'all got on the table, go ahead and fight for it. So more or less what they're saying is, you're, you're the bottom of the barrel. You're the last thing we're considering as we're moving forward. You, the labor group, a decent amount of the general fund budget is the last thing we consider in balancing the general fund budget, as opposed to looking forward to cost of living increases, looking around with an actual adequate uh, comp survey, meaning we compare our job classifications to those in the surrounding area, and where do we stack up, right? If our issue as an organization is we aren't able to fill positions and maintain workers in those positions, that means we're constantly training, constantly hiring, constantly building a workforce that never gets to a point of being excellent because the time isn't there. What they're doing is getting their training and going elsewhere where pay is better, quality of life is better, whatever it may be. And so as we're building towards alleviating those recruitment and retention issues, that's gonna have a significant impact on our workers. 
Right. And, you know, when I was running um, for, for city council in 2022, that was when um, you all were gearing up for your strike. Um, and that that was kind of the question that um, I would often get asked asked whenever it was, you know, some endorsement forum for SEIU or, or whatever else is like, how are you going to find the money in the budget to, to pay city workers uh, or the raise we're asking for? And it's a really interesting question for the union to be asking to potential council members or to, to candidates, um, because that's kind of the framing that management would use in order to deny the raises. And I, I think that's intentional is they're looking for someone to kind of spin the, spin the narrative. And, and that's what I would always do is say like, why is that what we are asking you know where does the money come from when it comes to so many other things we just find the money and you know when it when it talks when we're talking about um let's say we need to repair a road um we're not going to talk about oh where do you find the money to pay for the asphalt where do you find the money to pay um, the the going rate to maintain or rent or buy you know construction equipment like that's not a framing that we use for anything else but actually paying the human labor um, or paying for the human labor that 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 makes these things happen um, what we really ought to be doing is seeing the cost of living um, and not even uh, cost of living, but cost of you know thriving for people who work in the city as an inherent part of providing these these services, and in fact, you know the most important expense to cover when we're providing these services. Because how are we going to, you know, advocate for good union jobs in the city of Santa Cruz in the private sector when we don't have those in in our own government? Um, and and don't even get me into you know the way that uh, an overemphasis on um, single occupancy vehicle infrastructure is dooms municipal budgets over you know decades that that's that's another mm, three months worth of shows yeah i was gonna um, say that's that's a big spin i i, <laughs> I do want to take the opportunity to say exactly the 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 shell game of i would say balancing the budget it's almost humorous to me because it's one of those classic instances where you 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 want with all your heart to not mistake incompetence for malice. And what I mean by that is a clear example is through the the buildup in our negotiations, as you said, the money was found. What we were initially offered was one, uh, I think it was a 2% COLA as a one-year contract, mm -hmm. which is just absolutely unsustainable in terms of cost of living when we were facing greater than 8% inflation. And also, it was only a one-year contract. That's not how you provide security and longevity for a working group that plans to be there for 35 years of their lives. So it should be noted that after the budget was worked, i.e. fiscal year closes June into July, literally, I sat down in negotiations and our new financial element came forward that we, you know, while cleaning house here at the city of Santa Cruz general fund budget, we lifted up the couch cushion and we found $8 million. Like 
the operating budget was under 120 million at the time for general fund. You just found eight million dollars. Now mm-hmm. again, I, I don't want to think that they were holding that in a pocket somewhere. It's literally a, a a factor of how you work those numbers. How do you cook those books? Not in a negative way, but you know, how, what's your recipe for success? Yeah. Historically, we do. We, we had a recipe for not success. Yeah. It was really bad every year. And so the effect of our strike and the power that we built as a catalyst was shifting the tone of that conversation significantly. And going further there is that I am now running as District 1 City Council. I will be winning. Can't wait. I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> I d- I'm not getting in the ring to kind of smell, taste, and feel it. I'm getting in the ring to win, period. As a representative for all of us as working families in the city of Santa Cruz. Now, the importance here is that that goes beyond just me. What I said in the endorsement with SEIU was looking at my fellow workers who, with whom I stood on the strike line, with whom you stood on the strike line, thank you. And I said, this is just the start. I will be the first and I will definitely not be the last worker in Santa Cruz running for elected council positions. The goal is to have a worker in at least every single race, every single time there's an opening. That's power. That's a buildup of a whole new realm and future for us as working families in this town. 20 years down the line, we're going to look back and go, holy cow, look at what we did. And this is the start of that. So I want to take a moment to recognize that as well. Yeah. And and I want to go back a a second to what you were talking about with you know, whether the, the, the conversations that happened on finding money for, for workers was, um, you know, malice. And I, and I find that like a really interesting question to ask, because obviously we can't see into the, the minds of, you know, the city management or, or, um, elected officials. But if I were to guess, I, I think it comes down to ideology, really, you know, ideology is, you know, one way to define it, and there's infinite ways to define it, but these, you know, subconscious presuppositions that we make around the, uh, about the world that impact our, our beliefs and our actions with, without us necessarily even noticing. So it, it's a part of an ideology that categorizes paying workers as a different type of expense than paying for construction equipment or construction materials mm-hmm. or whatever else yep. the city has to pay for. Yeah. Um, and, and it's an ideology that is obviously going to be much more likely if you haven't worked in, in a job, uh, if you haven't worked for the city or in a job similar to, to, to being a city worker, if you've, um, you know, been, you know, wealthy all your life and then been able to run for city council as something that interests you. Um, yeah, that's, that's an ideology that is really easy to fall into and getting working class people in office, working class, um, you know, champions in office, um, or city workers themselves in office is a really good way to get folks with a different ideology on this, on this matter of paying workers. Um, at the table. Yeah, I think, and I, I can take that and run with it. I love where you're going there. The, the idea is, is not only a philosophical divide, but straight one of ignorance. These are intelligent people, well-trained quote unquote professional who have bleeding hearts that they really think they're doing something. 
And what they're failing at is recognizing where people are in their day-to-day life. It is a very simple thing. And I can start with an anecdote and move forward from there. Years ago, we as water workers were saying, we need better pay. Our competition, so right now a crew lead, this is a a master level individual in underground construction, safety, well-being, quality of life, uh, quality of water that we're serving to our community. We want to keep those costs down, which means we want good workers, we want good efficient work, and we want safe work. We top out at, I think, $52 an hour right now. That's loaded labor. That's a master. Over the hill, Cal Water they're going to be paying you another $20 an hour on top of that with equitable benefits, if not greater. What is it that they recognize in their workforce that we don't overhear? And I think the simple fact of the matter is that our representatives at council in what I'll say for simplicity, a bunch of centrist Democrats have no idea what real rap music is. And what I mean is they don't have a concept of what day-to-day living is. And that's what we are impressing upon them in our strike movement. And having to have conversations with grown adults and have them look at me and go, gosh, I really didn't understand this. Now I hear you. Well, I don't want to have to go to my representative and tell my story a hundred times, a thousand times, 10,000 times so that you understand. I'm going to run for office so that city council members already understand. We don't need to be brought to a level of awareness for the plight of working people. We are the working people. We understand what day-to-day life is, and we're here specifically to address it and alleviate those issues. That's a great point, and that that offers a great segue for us to move into um, what, what I'd also really like to talk about, because you know, we've spent the first half hour or so of our show really talking about workers for the city. Like, and the city of Santa Cruz, I believe, is the second largest employer after the UC. Um, county is in there too. Oh, county. Yeah, county has more in the employees city, than us. Oh, in the city. I see what you're saying. We we won't worry about specifics, but a lot of people work for the city of Santa Cruz. Mm-hmm. Um, but. Most people, you know, most people don't. Most working class people in the city of Santa Cruz are not employed by the city. And and so I think it's a really important thing to to touch on that your your advocacy for city workers does not end with that. And advocating for working class people from one specific working class background does not end with that, you know, narrow experience that any person has because – I mean, that's kind of what solidarity is all about among working class people is we tend to have more in common when it comes to our interests and our lived experiences than than not. So, um, you know, outside of unions and city workers, there's a whole host of issues that are really important and pressing that um, are kind of the first thing that most other um, council candidates get asked about. And because of um, because of your, you know, background and what you're doing, you don't get as much time to talk about them. But I, I don't, I don't want to, you know, do you the disservice of making it sound like you're a single issue candidate when, oh. <laughs> when we're when we're talking here. So, um, if you don't mind, I'd love to just run through just a few of, you know, the issues that are obviously top of people's minds. And and the first one I think is obviously going to be affordable housing. Absolutely. And, and that's something that's obviously a big part of city workers in the city of Santa Cruz. That's a big part of why y'all went on strike uh, a year ago, because 
you know, you mentioned that um, water um, in the water department, your pay tops out at $55 an hour. $55 is a lot of money um, for, to make per hour, but that's below the housing wage in Santa Cruz, meaning that if you work 40 hours a week f- making $55 an hour, um, you're still not going to be able to comfortably afford uh, a, a one-bedroom apartment rental. Correct. And and so th- that's a big deal for city workers, but and that's a big deal for, for all workers, um, including, you know, service workers, for example, who are not going to get close to making $55 an hour. So tell me a little bit about, yeah, what needs to be done for affordable housing um, to get um, unhoused people the opportunity to become housed and, and people who are barely able to pay for rent um the opportunity the ability to to do that comfortably and stay in santa cruz yeah that's that's a big box to unpack we can start little by little here so first and foremost i would say that i want to caveat water is the best paying labor position within the city of santa cruz to be in uh, crew lead in water there are six of them so (laughs) that is the total uh and that's topped out you got to put your 10 years in, in that position to get to that space. So like you said, it still falls significantly short. So there are six workers (laughs) in the city of Santa Cruz who can almost afford housing. Who can almost afford housing. Yeah. And it gets, goes downhill from there. (laughs) Yes. Significantly and quickly too. Um, And so the element of housing is a big one. I'm going to try and break this up and we're going to remember together how to get back there. I promise. But first and foremost, we know that what's been built historically is market rate, market rate, market rate. And we know right now that we do not need any more market rate. We have ample, beautiful market rate opportunities all throughout town. And what we're sliding towards is we need to address the need for our community. And specifically, I'm looking towards young couples, single moms, older folks, the unhoused. We talk about low cost housing. Let's talk about no cost housing. And people say, where are you going to get the money? How's that going to happen? Everybody wants to come up with all the reasons we can't. And I'm sitting there going, all I need is one reason that we can. You give me one wedge to drive and start fighting for, we can charge up that hill and we can split the seas and do incredible things because we're human. We have opposable thumbs and we have brains. We've invented a litany of things that are fantastic within this world. Why is it that our first impetus is going, I don't think we can. How are we going to do that? No, no, no. Check this out. It's being done. 119 Coral Street, four stories is going up by the new Highway 91 expansion. That is, that is specifically no-cost housing. Uh, 136 River is in a current planning phase right now. That's for the future housing. That's going to be four stories right there next to uh, it's. Um, the outdoor world right there. So these are proposed projects. Okay, then we bounce down the way. We got 100% affordable housing going up at 818 Pacific. So we see instances in which this is being done. So we know that it's not impossible. Comes back to where's the money. My history right now, I'm working in engineering and I manage the development within our water system. So all these big commercial projects, as they come in, they literally land on my desk. I see, smell, and taste the ins and outs. I understand what the arguments are from the developers as to why they can't. At the end of the day, if we hold up that water permit because they need to pay fees, they find that money ASAP to keep that project moving. So we know the money is there. It's a matter of restructuring that whole process. And again, 
we'd have to have another show about it, which I'd love to come back and talk about the specificity of the mechanics of developing and generating affordable housing options. But that could be something as simple as when a big new project finishes, like 418 Front, we could force them to condo map it. Rather than it being one owner who has this monolith of 300 some odd units, once that thing sells, or a 100 Laurel, once it sells to the management, they could split all those units into individually owned opportunities. That's a 450 square foot unit. All of a sudden your ticket to ride, your opportunity to become an owner within our community, that cost has come down significantly. You're not trying to buy a single bedroom or two bedroom single family home whose cost is exorbitant. You're trying to get in at an earlier level, a simpler level. Your ticket to ride on the roller coaster of, of realty is there and present. That also means that your ticket to rent is lower. Your options and affordability is higher. So those are things that we really need to severely and immediately address with respect to affordability and housing. So that's one part. The overarching principle I would say in, in the march of this candidacy is dignity and respect for all. So that's us in the community in every way that we are a part of the community. I make no distinctions between who's in and who's not. I live on Upper Ocean. My community includes people passing by on foot. Maybe they're going from Emmeline to the river. That's my community. Those people are in my community. They are not outside of it. They are not free from the effects of being hungry, of being cold, of being sick and living unhoused. That doesn't mean that they aren't with us. They absolutely are. So addressing their needs is just as important as addressing everyone else's. And so we're going to come to the space where those needs will be addressed and we as working families are not going to incur a greater cost to provide dignity and respect to everyone within our community. So, so I want to be clear on your, your answer, and I, and I appreciate a lot of what was in there. You, you're saying that we have enough market rate housing and we need to focus on building affordable housing and talking about all of the examples of that going going up and i have maybe maybe two follow-ups on that and mm -hmm. and the first would be um it, it seems like pretty much every study that's been done in in um, places around the country and and the data that i've seen in santa cruz would indicate the same thing which is that our total number of units just disregarding whether they're deed restricted affordable, whether they exist in, you know, a co-op apartment building or mobile home park, or whether they're single family homes that have been owned by the same person since the 1980s, whatever kind of unit we're talking, the total number of housing units in the city of Santa Cruz is way below where it ought to be. Um, do you, do you agree with that? And, uh, yeah, regardless of what, what I affordability see. level, just the total number of units yeah, should so, be more. So this is moving towards um, something of, I would say, a, a schism in the argumentation of where we are now, both in terms of academia, of what's taught with respect to planning and urban development, and also lived experiences of what we see. And so the idea, I think, and correct me if I'm wrong here, is as we build more units, the availability of more units, the market works in such a way that it alleviates the pressure on existing older units, and we see those new units creating affordability just by being present. So I do think that we know that we need more units, but I will not say that we need more market rate units, frankly, because I'm 
still quite mixed and I am not fully subscribing to the fact that the free market fixes problems because if it did, it would have already. So our no growth model has been very destructive to us in the past and we know that and we know it's absolutely true. Moving forward, we want a growth model that we have um, engagement and empowerment within as the community, but also it needs to address our needs in the community. There aren't a lot of people pining for market rate housing in our community. I would start with that. What people are pining for is the opportunity to live somewhere. So I, I do think that there is a school of thought that says build baby build and it'll make it better. And I'm not denying that entirely, but I would like to put the note on it that we can build, but we need to be engaged in the process directly and intimately so that we have our say as to what units we want to see in terms of affordability and opportunity. Sure. And uh, the the second question that, that I wanted to follow up with that is uh, partly related to what you were just saying is what specifically you as a as a council member as one vote out of seven would see yourself doing on this since um i mean the the list you ran through of affordable projects or things that have been proposed and i'm, I'm sure that you would agree that um you, you'd want to do everything in your power to um make sure that those end up actually getting getting built um but beyond that what what do you think you could do as as one vote to to make more affordable housing construction happen than if if you weren't there and and a, a part of that that i'm really curious about is if if you think we have enough market rate housing is part of your work that you see to stop construction of market rate housing when it gets proposed or are you going to take the approach of supporting more housing being built and ho pushing for the the best housing that we can get within the the units that are um that are getting built gotcha gotcha so let's start with the fact that currently the state does have the ability to supersede a number of our local governmental ordinances in the prospect of building housing like what you were touching on so so people may understand these things inclusionary requirements density bonuses um variances for parking whatever it may be as real quick mechanically on council, if I am just one vote, not a lot of power in just one vote. So for those of you listening, if you don't live in my district, that's quite all right. You might very well live in a district with another candidate who's going to be very helpful working together with me on city council, pressing council in the direction which we seek. So as one vote, I think something that's integral is bringing those voices to the front, making sure that they're known. But the power in that position is actually building bridges directly with the community, organizing the community in the most grassroots of ways. I'm talking having meetings on weeknights, doing Zoom educational trainings of how the process works, what our objective standards are, where we can see improvements, how do we make improvements, how do we petition and organize and activate and elevate our voice so that it's met at the table at council. All of those things are outside of quote unquote council activities, but as a council member, you have a very unique opportunity to bring together groups and individuals and agencies to muster the strength and build a voice to change that platform. 
That would be just as a single vote. <laughs> as a secondary vote, I think what needs to be directly addressed is modifying and bringing forward how do we adjust and account for our municipal codes in light of the state being able to override them. And I don't mean the state overriding them in a bad way. They're addressing the need for housing. They're addressing the need for building units. So when people come in and can um, apply for that state density bonus, we love to see that. We're seeing more units, but we want to have the power to say how we want those units to unfold. So by no means am I going to shut down explicitly market rate or implore that all we do is zero cost housing. There is something of a dynamic situation there to be addressed. Sure. Uh, we're, we're quite low on time. Oh, and, shoots. And I'm sorry. No, no, it's, it's good. And I'm <laughs> glad we got to, you know, go through the, oh my um, gosh. the details of, of housing policy. Cause that's, I think what people want to hear about, but, yeah. um, maybe a couple minutes, I want to ask you about, um, city climate policy. Cause that's something awesome. I'm really passionate about. And, and yes, please. if you ask me, um, building dense housing is front and center to reducing our emissions in the city of Santa Cruz. But, um, what else do you see the the city needing to do to do better on climate change? Yeah, so real quick, it gives me a chance to talk about my background. Uh, I am properly educated as a effectively as a wildlife biologist in ecology and systematics. What's that mean? Big picture, how do communities of organisms interact and interface? And a big focus on it is on fire science and invasive species ecology. That being said, Density of housing going to be significant, but what, what that yields and what we really need is transit. So with transit, with good jobs, we reduce the amount of cars. That's one element. We love that. Second element is we need to actually look to the county who's doing Soquel Buffer bike lanes. It's running from the bottom at Harbor High there all the way to Rio Del Mar. It's like five and a half miles of a buffered bike lane to make biking on Soquel safe. Boom. Let's see that continue all the way on. So advocating for um, policies in and around multimodal transportation, as well as bicycles, etc. The other element, and most closely related to my heart, I would say in terms of future resiliency in the face of climate change, is a lot of the work that we do with the water department. So we're looking into management of our resources in a way that increases conservation and also increases resiliency down the line as we're seeing these big shifts and variability in our weather and climate excuse me, in our weather year to year and our climate long term. So our aquifer storage and recharge plan is going to be huge. Uh, the current project that's moving through town that is the bane of most drivers existence, which is Soquel Creek's uh, project, um, Pure Water Soquel. So I am the inspector for the water department on that project. But what it's going to yield in terms of longevity and opportunity for health and safety of the environment and our people is through the roof and Maybe we should have a whole nother show on that. Well, so <laughs> what we didn't get the chance to talk about today is that your district is the only city council district um, in 2024 that has more than two candidates in the race. So I think we mm. are going to be hearing more, not just from you, but um, probably from a couple of the other people running in, in that race um, as as time goes on. And I'd, I'd love to even get all of you on together to talk about where you where you differ as the election gets closer. Oh, that'd be great. I would love that. I want to I want to end the show and and um with plug something that's I think really relevant to um to you and what you're about um as a as a union man and 
uh, I want to make sure that folks listening who are listening live and who are in Santa Cruz uh, are aware that um, Starbucks Workers United is on uh, this Thursday is um, going on strike um, for their Red Cup Rebellion. Starbucks, one of their biggest days of the year, is, is Red Cup Day. And um, so they're going to be picketing um, all, all day that day. Um, I think the main store that they'll be picketing at is the uh, Mission and Dufour Street, so the, the, the store on, on Mission Street. And anyone who's, who's supportive of, of workers and, and Starbucks workers is, is invited to, to come out and show support. And um, I don't want to put you Let's on the go. spot. Let's go. I'll be there. I'll be there. Let's go. That's great to hear. Let's go. That's great to hear. Well, um, Dave, it's been great talking with you. Um, and I want to give you just a couple seconds to um, plug your campaign. Where can people learn more about you and what can people do to support? Yeah, find me on the streets. I'm out there smiling, wearing a pink hat, running red lights on my bicycle and a bright yellow jacket in the mornings and afternoons. Don't be afraid to stop me and ask, but it's going to be davidtanassi at gmail.com. You're welcome to write an email to our candidate email. That's me. I'll be answering and happily. And also feel free to check out the websites. It's, um, oh my goodness, what a brain fart. I'm going to leave it there, teasing on the edge. We'll get back to it. You just send me an email and I'll send you the link. But that's where you can find out more about the policy and, the, and what we're going to be running under. And also donate to both your time, your energy, and your finances. And also I want to thank all of us as working people. I want to thank my labor group. I want to thank water distribution and water engineering for all you out there listening thank you and all you skaters from the sliders thank you <laughs> dave thanks for being here uh thank you to adrian our wonderful producer thank you to k squid and thanks to you for listening take care